Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oratari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who answers the question, what if Henry David Thoreau was a former terrorist with a gun? <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and Thoreau would be so much more interesting to me. <laughs> it's worth noting, our version of Thoreau here also probably does his own laundry. So it's already That's a fair. step above. Somebody knows where he is. And if Henry David Thoreau goes into hiding, you know his mom's still doing his laundry. Yeah, so you just need to, what, be... okay, where's a walkable distance from his mom? We have a one and a half mile radius around downtown Concord to find him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we, we, we it. should be able to search this area in time, yeah. Especially since somebody burned down all the woods. Thoreau on the run from, like, international terrorists, but he can only go a mile and a half away from his mom. That's still a pretty big area to hide in. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's not like it's a small area, but like, I mean, presumably yeah. they can put enough manpower together to find you. Especially if she's also on the move. So, like, all oh, right, okay, that's a good point, right? Right. If she's on the run yeah. too, but then you yeah. also run the risk that now you can correlate a lot of data from that because, like, of course, it might actually no, make it's still it, easy. Now you have now, but you also now have two points of data. So, like, if you can get a hold yeah. of where she is, you've now essentially right. found him immediately. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film over there each month. Uh, our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. Watched uh, Logan Lucky on our most recent one. Oh, that was this good. Recording. That was really enjoyable. I really like that. Yeah. Logan Lucky is a movie that should be in the Criterion Collection, right? Yeah, I, I, so I think so, actually. Yeah, in the Criterion Collection. Yeah. Sometimes we watch movies that aren't so good. Uh, for for both for both parts of the parts of the podcast, really. But yeah, but that's true on the Criterion podcast too. So why dichotomize now? We have a lot of fun over there. We watch a lot of a lot of different movies, and it's always great. I uh, love uh, love talking about movies with my friends. Yeah, we do do uh, it a lot. Sometimes we, we get more friends on over there. If one of our Patreon supporters suggests a movie for the list and it wins, we'll try and get them on the episode. And it's always fun to talk to people about movies they really love so yeah uh one dollar gets you access to the vote and the entire back catalog a little above that though for folks who can afford it uh we'd like to thank our five dollar supporters on air and so thank you so much to chris otto stephen goldmeyer eric coronado and andrew jarrett our five dollar supporters right now yes thank you very much uh, a bit above that we do something pretty dang special pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note, mail it off once a month to our $10 and above supporters. And we also like to thank them on air. And thank you so much to Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, Nina Bajnak, and Jason Westhaber. Yes, thank you so much. Our $10 and above supporters. If you want to check out those postcards without committing that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there, and our store will pop up. You can see our past postcards and buy them as postcards, greeting cards. Uh, stickers, magnets, some as uh, phone cases, just pretty pretty random assortment once you get beyond the postcards. But uh, uh, whatever whatever struck my fancy as I was clicking checkboxes, setting everything up each time. Uh, 
But yeah, thank you to everybody who has purchased anything off that Redbubble. Thank you to all our Patreon supporters now and through the years. And thank you for listening. Pat, this week we are continuing through Carlos, the miniseries, uh, by uh, French director Olivier Assayas. Uh, miniseries came out in 2010. It is a biopic of the uh, international terrorist Carlos the Jackal, uh, a.k.a. And then also uh, sometimes Ramirez people Sanchez. who just knew him seemingly, especially in this episode. <laughs> Like, just people yeah. who are in yeah. his orbit, we just follow for, like, 15, 20 minutes at a time. There's a surprisingly right, right, right. small amount of Carlos in episode two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fair. Um, episode two is uh, much more compact than episode one was. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Where mm-hmm. Episode one was basically Sanchez prior to... The OPEC raid. Episode two is the OPEC raid and its immediate fallout. Uh, and who knows what episode three will be? We'll get to that next week. Well, we do. We do. Um, we got some hints today because or yeah. this week because I, we watched the bonus features for this week and they featured some some talk from the cinematographer and some of the clips feature what is clearly uh, an overweight. Yes. Older Carlos dancing in a where was it? Um, yes. What? Uh, Yemen, country? I believe, is where no, he was no, 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 no. No, he wasn't was captured in Yemen. No, he was captured somewhere in. Oh, was it? It was Sudan, wasn't it? Yeah. The Criterion Collection has given us a plethora of bonus features. Uh, in fact, an entire disc dedicated to historical context, which we talked about last week. This week, our bonus features are behind-the-scenes stuff with the cinematographer and also shooting the OPEC raid scene. Uh, and we'll get into that as appropriate. Um. I would start this one off uh, talking about the music because we didn't really talk about the music last week. Uh huh. I really, I think all the music cues are really on point, except for and the last all... one. Except for the closing, <laughs> except for the closing yeah. credits one. You're right. I agree with you all the way up until they decide to end the episode, and the music gets real fucking weird for some reason. <laughs> it does though, I think right? That's like fair. it, like. It goes into this like I don't know what I forget what song it is. Like my every time I hear the song, I was like, "Oh, I know this song," and then I immediately forget what the song is. But it's like a polka version, and you're like, "What prompted yeah, this?" Dancy. Yeah, like what? A, I can only suspect that's the music that's playing in the nightclub when he's like caught. Maybe as far as the movie is concerned, well, we, who not, knows? He's not actually caught while dancing. We'll see how it's no, presented. no, no. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I bet the movie's yeah. going to compact that into one scene. That's my yeah, theory. Maybe, maybe. The movie's like, we need this to be real punchy. It's no good if we just wake him in the middle of the night. We got to catch him dancing, doing some real old man dance moves. Yeah, but he's like an old, old South American. He's probably got some good moves. No, we saw the video, man. They, they're they're old man moves. They are like he's like That's he is true. just we does did. not have the touch. Um, it's one of the most upsetting thing. It's one of the things that led me down last week the path of like, this man is charismatic, huh? Okay, if you say so, because <laughs> like I've met some very very charismatic men in their like sixties, seventies, eighties, and he is not putting on any of the airs of any of them. I don't know what's going on there. Like, yeah, very, it's very like sl- shuffling slightly left and right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the music in this is interesting. Aseas 
had originally wanted to use basically all music by the Feelies. And the Feelies are a band... I'm not super familiar with them, but we've seen them before. Uh, They are the band that plays at the college reunion in uh, uh, Jonathan Dame's Something Wild. Okay. uh, Which we watched about... Three, I remember four months that ago. one. That's the uh, yeah. I had a I, Jeff Daniels. Yeah, movie. yeah. I yeah. remember that one. With, yeah, where 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 while the Feelies are on stage, the entire the entire movie shifts into a uh, a kidnap thriller starring Ray Liotta. Right. Um, uh, yeah, great movie. Um, but the Feelies uh, apparently decided they did not want their music associated exclusively with uh, terrorists. Yeah, that it makes uh, sense. It makes so. sense. Also, like I, I'm, I'm always like weirded out a little bit when they make those decisions. Like when, like when you hear like a director, or somebody who like makes that kind of decision, because it's like, do you feel that that band's music is like particularly apt for this situation? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it always has this sort of like, it almost feels like it's one of those just things that where it's an intersection of like, well, this director really likes this band, and also, um, we. I got to make this movie about a terrorist, and so I'm just going to smash these two things together that aren't maybe necessarily yeah. appropriate yeah. Uh, pairing. Uh, it's real, a real fish and cheese sort of situation here. Like, well, I like them both, yeah. so they're fucking going together. God damn it! Right. Well, there's you know, most of what he ends up using is some pretty like droney rock stuff that really works out, um, and some of it has a bit of like a. Middle Eastern flair to it. Some of it has some of something like a polka flair to it, as yeah. you said. But um, and yeah, plenty of plenty of Latin stuff. Plenty of uh, of good music. Just good music. It's all good music. It's good music. Um, although I gotta admit, like for me, most of the time it sort of falls into the background for me personally. Yeah. Like I, I hit it. When, I notice it when there's a sting or like a really like a, where it amps up for yeah. a second. But then most of the time, like. I you know because I've got to put a fair amount of effort into paying attention to the dialogue and stuff. Um, yeah, when when you start splitting uh, your attention that many ways, it starts getting a little bit um, can get right. a little bit dicey. There's there's a bit in episode two this week where uh, after they've finally landed, let everybody go and have received the twenty million dollars. Carlos has his sunglasses on. He's in the back of a limousine, and there's media everywhere. Right. And a head by wire starts playing. And it's just this real... It's incongruent to what's actually going on, but it's like the movie's trying to present this as this huge rock star moment. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Yeah, there's there's a... Yeah, like, there's a few moments where, like, the movie seems to want, like... To, it seems to want to have its cake and eat it to eat it too about like it's similar to what we were talking about last week, but almost yep. amplified. Where the movie wants to to play into the to the sort of like the sort of modern sort of neoliberal interpretation of this sorts of things, where it's like, well, you're both ideological and also just out for it for money, and it le- choose to lean in right. there by like kind of trying to make it like feel like he's a rock like. It it makes yeah. it more like the sort of movie that gets made about like the you know like the singer in a band like as they as they break big or something, but the movie can't. In my opinion, the movie fails to sustain it. Like in the yeah. sense that like well, it wants it, but like it can't. It doesn't have the material to pull it off throughout right. the the full within breadth of the film. 
Well, with uh, with Ahead particularly, they make an interesting choice in that that song continues after that scene is done. Yes. And we're back to uh, Angie training with the uh, the PFLP guys while uh, – and he finishes up and comes to a meeting with Carlos and uh, uh, Haddad, uh, where Haddad is censuring Carlos. But the music you know, that wires ahead has continued through that entire scene. Through both, like like three scenes at this point. Right? Well, and they even uh, um, it shows up somewhere else too, like at the very end of the episode too. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, wait a minute. I'm trying. To, now I need to go watch the last. Thing. Is no, because it's like the wrong rhythm. Ah, uh, it, it does show up later in the film, like in the same episode too. Like it's it keeps showing. Well, there's up also just there's a lot of wire songs throughout, even if it's not just yeah. But head, it is but, this one because of the lyrics. Yeah. Like I, I I heard the same yeah. The lyric, you know, about the monkey and stuff, like multiple yeah, yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it does keep showing up because I, I do think the movie wants you to sustain the notion that this is his like breaking big as a sort of rock star terrorist moment. I think that the story doesn't sustain very well, as we talked about, like as we mentioned, like it just the move, the story that he put himself put onto screen just doesn't sustain that properly. Like he's not. We're not watching him spiral out of control as a like an out of like control megalomaniac who right. is like busting up hotel rooms and like fucking throwing TVs out of windows and shit. You know, we're watching him right. kind of inept, like kind of slightly less ideologically step into the same shoes, the shoes of the person that he like was on the outs with, right? With Harad, it's like that's, right. but like less ideologically primarily not because he doesn't seem to have an ideological bent but because he's not in a position to actually step into the role of being the leader of the palate of like palestinian palestinian liberation you know what i mean right like he's not they're not no one wants him him for that job only at the very end do we see any sort of like really intense like well we'll just go wherever the money is and even then it's still not it, you know, it's that like switching to Syria over, uh, over uh, east of uh, East Germany instead instead of East Germany, basically. Right is the entirety of that sort of, sort of what's trying to tell us that he's money rather than ideologically minded. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, given with the bonus features last week we were basically left with the impression that Criterion was giving us everything Asayas had given them as like his primary research these uh uh these archival uh documentaries and interviews uh and hopefully it's not everything and obviously there are choices made that are not drawn directly from that stuff but there is plenty of material within that that it was a clearly I say is his only source. Right. right. So it is sort of interesting that the way we see Algiers happen in the movie is actually different to yeah, how that source material, Angie yeah. reports. Yeah. And also, like, Algiers do we see things in, in this film? We see later on in this same series. Uh, like, unfortunately, I watched this. I broke this into two because I just needed to spread out the time. So, like, I watched the first yeah. half of this episode. I stopped watching at uh, the cabin in the woods scene, essentially, and like had to call it a night. Okay. Um, so most yeah. of the movie I watched in one block, and then I split off a little bit of it. But um, 
Yeah, like it. Um, he like there are other places that depart from what we're told as sort of his his be the behavior by like other doc the the other documentary materials as well. Like where you're like, oh, yeah. th- like this yeah. is not what we were told happened. Yeah. So, so in the archival interview with Angie, uh, he sort of presents uh, Carlos's choice to take the money as a choice of greed. Uh, and obviously, Angie's got other bridges to burn. We do see, even in this movie, an idea that it does sort yeah. of regard. The movie is not precisely kind to Angie either in terms of like. Right. Like. They're but, constantly worried that he's going to sell them out, and he writes this big op-ed thing in the in the in Der Spiegel, and like, it's sort of like, well, you're reading between the lines about like, yeah, yeah, something something that does sell them out if if the key is provided, and the key doesn't seem like it's that hard to find. In fact, maybe even ideologically, the key is as hard as find as the key Angie hides when he leaves his cabin two feet away from the locked door on a right. windowsill. Yeah. Angie uh, is presented in the movie and hinted at in the interview we get. Uh, he leaves because the guys who uh, Haddad chose to replace Carlos for the next big action were openly anti-Semitic. Yeah, the yeah. Next big it, that action, is, which, that, yeah, that seems to be like... Yeah. And and we do... I don't remember... We do see... Does he make comments about this? Does Klein actually make comments about that in in his interview? I can't he, remember. He I'm, makes uh he makes an offhand reference to Bonnie separating the Jews, like the Nazis did, like they did at Auschwitz. Um and uh Bonnie is the guy who looks a bit like uh Matt Berry. Right. Uh, right who is yeah. Uh, who is put in charge of the Wilfred Bose is his name, uh, Wilfried. Um, and he and his partners uh, hijacked Air France Flight 139, um, which was uh, out of Tel Aviv to Paris. Uh, and they ended up taking it to Entebbe, Uganda. And while it was, while they're on the ground in Entebbe, uh, one, Bonnie made the choice to separate the uh, Jewish passengers from the other passengers uh, and release the non-Jewish passengers. And then uh, Mossad attacked and, and killed, right. uh, killed all of the terrorists. Uh, presumably did not kill anyone else, but I actually don't know. So yeah, Angie's Angie's big... Big disagreement there is that uh, I got into this because I wanted to fight the Nazis, not not become one. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, um, and and we we sort of like we we see it's this is all very fascinating because like yeah, in some ways, right? Like we have we, this is sort of to a certain extent fits into the sort of um, conflicting information sort of situation that we have sort of in this entire film structure, right? Is that like Klein offhandedly comments on it in that interview, which again, you would think that would be a thing he would talk about extensively, right? In in any sort right. of interview. But it's an offhanded comment. And you kind of end up with this sort of interesting thing. It was like 
well, is the movie like oh, decided to play up this thing? Where, because like at first we see like he's hesitant to be a part of this group because he doesn't want to do violence, uh, right. and then we see that sort of shift over to, and so you know we we get yeah. a bunch of um sort of different reasons essentially for why Angie's not involved, um, and right. like. Yeah, I don't know. It's very. Um, it sort of, to a certain extent, can be kind of read as the story sort of flailing about a bit, trying to find an explanation for him as a character. Do you think that, or do you think that Angie uh, Klein being the only person to verbalize seeing a difference between anti Zionism and anti Semitism? And drawing a hard line between the two. I, I think the movie uh, might be doing given. that a little bit from time to time as sort of like a rhetorical point for the movie to make. You, you know what I mean? I guess I guess my question is, uh, with regard to our filmmakers, uh, do you think that, that that ideology is put on Angie as a way of dismissing it? I, I don't know. Or alternatively as like, oh, this is the only person in this thing that like saw had any better sense to like try to get the fuck yeah. out. Like, you know what I mean? Cause, like, because like he's not necessarily played as like evil for what he's right. doing or anything like that yeah. or being like and uh, like or being bad for what he's doing. Because um, like, you know what I mean? Like you could do that. You can make him seem evil for what he's doing for like dropping out of the group right. if you wanted to. Right. And if this were like the Bond movie that we proposed like last episode, he would be right. Um, and I, he would be I like, su- do you suppose... did you remember Goldeneye, the film Goldeneye? Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. James Bond's counterpart, Double O, whatever he is, I can't remember anymore. Makes, I think he's just six in the movie. Yeah, actually, makes honestly. a lot of but, yeah. um, very cogent arguments about the nature of the Cold War and what their role yeah. in the Cold War was. And it's like, well, he's still the bad guy, so we gotta blow it. we got he's gotta also be evil, right? right? right, right, right. And we get that a lot yeah. with the terrorists in you know, we get that with uh right. fucking uh whatchamacallit, that one the the most disappointing thing that uh, Disney's Marvel has ever produced. The uh the thing with the Falcon <laughs> and the Winter Soldier where it's like yeah, the Falcon are these po- people Soldier. making a lot of really cogent ar- ideological points. Yeah. They also just blow people up randomly because better, they're evil. Better have them randomly blow people up. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, so I yeah. wonder they could have done that, you know, and they don't do that to Angie, which makes me think like right. to a certain extent I think the movie wants to articulate that idea. A, right. a valid and criticism it's, it's, of the idea of like and also that like Want, but like, I, and I don't know that the movie wants to be as subtle as to say, is it or is it not? You know what I mean? Like, because like there is, you could, you know, the movie could get it is it could engage with that even more deeply if it wanted to really get into it. Right, right. It is also fair to say that Angie in the movie is portrayed very sympathetically. Right. Uh, the the Angie we get with the bonus material is a bit less so. Right. Right. But, right. And, and so I think Angie, Angie in this many ways, I think in many ways, Angie serves as a sort of, uh, sort of a, is there in the movie basically exists to make an ideal, like a sort of yeah. like like a a cogent argument then, about about ideology and stuff, and and serves that purpose. And then I bet he mostly what? disappears for the rest of the movie. Honestly, I don't think we'll right. ever see him again in the movie. Oh no, we're definitely never seeing Angie in in Act Three. Um, the other thing about Angie is he provides an opportunity for the film to play to the common narrative about Carlos, which is Angie leaves when Carlos becomes all about the money. Right. Even though even though to come back around to what got us on Angie, 
Carlos taking the money is presented as a pragmatic, uh, under pressure choice within the narrative of the film, not one of greed. Um, he even comes back around and says to Haddad later, "I got you this money. I got us this money." Right, and and you know we get a, we get an interesting argument between them. That is a fairly interesting argument where both are making sort of valid points. Right, Haddad's like, "Well, you're yeah. a soldier. You're supposed to follow orders. You're supposed to do right. what you're told." And you and had also, one mission. And also Haddad says, it. yeah, also Haddad says, I didn't need that money. Do you know how much money I have? <laughs> yeah, well, like, and especially getting into I, the idea that the people who paid for this operation to have, do you know how much money they put in this operation? Like $20 million right. is a drop in the bucket versus how much yeah. money it costs to initiate this thing. Yeah. Uh, and when you really think about They're, the, the OPEC, were... like the, the hostage situation OPEC, you know, you've got major massive governments theoretically being involved in the sort of staging of right. this like on a on a like on a like on a very implicative level right where like if they're if they are actually directly oh, implicated yeah. it's like huge and we're talking international incident now we're at war kind of shit right and so right 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 you know it, it, it you know they're just both making and really you get into this idea of like and what i think you're actually getting is the movie talking in sort of roundabout ways about the idea of like the the take hostages and land somewhere, release them for money, days are gone, right? Like they don't right. exist anymore. You're not doing that anymore. You're now doing suicide bombings, right? That's the the sort of the 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 sort of direction of this sort of method of 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 uh, sort of politics, right? Is that that's the sort of um, trajectory of it, right? And um, right. So I, I think and, and and in many ways, right, like the movie doesn't want to get into that too deeply, but it, it he, you know, Haddad basically says you should and, and multiple people on the plane, you know, characters on the plane are all with the idea of like, well, we're just going to get this thing blown up with us on it and the people we need to kill on it. Right. Uh, right. That's what the, the right answer was, quote unquote, for like, as far as certain people were concerned. And then. But also, who knows if that's true, right? Like, we're now we're getting really into the world of fiction with regards to, like, what... Because we don't have Haddad to interview. We don't have Haddad's thoughts on this. We have a couple secondhand accounts, and then it's mostly conjecture, right? So it's like, yeah, they split. They separated, went separate ways. But we don't know that Haddad would have actually liked him to have the plane blown up with the people that were the targets and a whole bunch of people that... In theory, Haddad's organization might not want to be on the wrong side of. We're also right. on that plane, right? If, like, right. As far as as far as Carlos is concerned, the mission is to get all of these OPEC nations who have not been openly pro-Palestinian to be openly pro-Palestinian to make an openly right. pro-Palestinian statement uh, as a condition of their release, and uh, no one wants to do that. But also, with Haddad's hints at greater politics in the background, uh, if there were meant to be some sort of sacrificial chess piece, uh, whatever country was funding them, Iraq is what the movie posits, uh, Lebanon is suggested by one of the interviewers in the bonus materials last week, uh, but if the idea is to kill all of the conservative OPEC country's oil ministers uh someone stands to make a hell of a lot of money from that right uh, right, right so 
Uh, right. Uh, yeah. You get yeah. into this sort of uh, real like we don't we'll never know what the sort of underlying goals in, of that action was. Right. Like not really. Right. We can, we can make guesses, make conjectures and stuff, but we can't really know. Right. Especially if if the ploy is to get either Gaddafi or a European nation to to be the trigger men for for that sort of thing. Uh yeah, I mean it would be <laughs> well, I uh, wheels are spinning in that that changes the latter half of the 20th century in incredibly significant. It does. It does, although right? interestingly yeah. enough, right, we get into a really a thing that I've been wanting to talk about since last episode and I kept for, I forgot every time it like popped into my head I would forget. And now I I've been thinking about it today especially is that interestingly enough, right? Part of the change, the sort of course change of like what you know this, what terrorism looks like, and is that is partially because of the development of like no negotiation styles, right? Like, right, we're gonna, right. and we see that later. It comes after this, but it comes, but these are all like steps in that in that process, right? Of like, you know, right, the you know, the is you know the Israeli armed forces storming that plane to take. The hostages rather than negotiate with them is a step along that process of we're not going to do the hey give us up we'll give you whatever we want give us our people back right and and when you see like you see what end up happening is like we we shift the the sort of for lack of a better term overton window or whatever on the idea of what is or is not acceptable losses in a in a hostage situation right right um, and right. and you can kind of argue that like we we look at it and we're we're told that the trajectory moves away from hostage taking to suicide bombings because basically because these people are evil right but when you think about the fact that like oh well the hostage taking doesn't work anymore because nobody will negotiate anymore the sort of semi nonviolent solution no longer functions because no one cares about blowing up their own people anymore right like right that you can see like, like you get into a very chicken egg sort of like well yeah, so if like no if if they're willing to storm a jet and risk killing every hostage. Yeah. Then like right. what's the point in taking hostages the, anymore? That mentality has uh backshifted down to even the lowest levels. Like I saw a video this morning of a police chase in Florida in the last couple of weeks where uh they're in a high speed chase. Like high speed chases are just dumb. It's, yeah, it's I mean they're dangerous let, for there's just no point. Yeah. There's just like literally no point in doing They're dangerous that. to everyone. Uh and and they only happen because you're reacting to them, right? Because you're because you're you're in a we will not negotiate mentality. Anyway, they finally ram the car into a pedestrian. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's all kinds of videos out there of them like slamming their yeah. car into just like general drivers who are just like right. minding and their own was, business, right? Killing there was that police shootout a couple years ago where they end up uh, pumping the car full of bullets while it's on a public street during rush hour, and they killed a UPS driver. And yeah, the I UPS remember that. Yeah. Thanked the police. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, like, well, and they yeah. and and I would argue that it, it's part of a bigger concept that has been it, i agree that it does like filter down right like you start at the top you say we yeah. don't negotiate with terrorists we're from now on we're storming any of these situations and we don't fuck how many civilians get killed yeah. right this is no longer relevant right. to us but we see a general overwhelming shift in the tone 
of society in general about what the value of an individual citizen is or is not. Right. Right. Like, right. and to the point where it escalates eventually when we get into coronavirus, where like the death of a million civilians is is not is not relevant. It's not a relevant factor in decision making processes. Right. Uh, yeah. Loss of workers is rough and it's not great for the economy. But like as far as like their value as individuals, it is it is amounts to zero. Right. Um, and I would argue that some of that is probably and like because this is my always my favorite arguing point is that some of that is derived from the weakening and then eventual disappearance of the USSR as a as a counterpoint yeah. body. Somebody to shame you. Not that the not that the USSR operated in any way that was like respectable or good, okay? But like as a yeah. body that you need to look better than and like who can shame you on an international right. stage. That that like you could do this enough that people might be like, Well, maybe we should align ourselves with these guys instead. Yeah. Doesn't like we I, I always harp on this point because it, like you can see a real turning point where yeah. like now the, the 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 fucking like all the governors are off the engine. Like we can just do anything, anywhere, right. anytime, right. no consequences. Yeah. Now of course another flip side to that now is that there are uh people are ostensibly on the left who believe that Russia still functions as that. Uh, and that's insane. That's insane. Like it's an yeah, insane it's, a, it's insane to think. It's an insane belief. Yeah. Like you you are yeah. closer to that with something like China and you're nowhere near that. Like you're not like America yeah. wants China to be that because it's so right, damn right, useful right, right. to have an enemy. Yeah. Like it's just so so useful to have like an actual like counterpoint to like if you want to spend money on like the on your on your like for example building more complicated weapons. Well, it's yeah. harder to justify when the people you're shooting have like like AK handed down AK-47s than like this sophisticated fighting force that we just got to keep amping budgets for. Um, right. They want China to be that. China doesn't really serve as that. Like, it just doesn't on the on the international stage. Not really. And they and yeah. The, yeah, the people who think the the people who think Russia is that now are are like it's a it's an amazing well, amount of mental effort. It's not even necessarily that people they they think that Russia is that they just think that Russia is the closest thing that could be that so they have to support Russia in certain instances as as a wall against uh, American hegemony and one you don't have to give it to Russia uh, and yeah it's just a dumb position to be in and well it, 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 it also into. like it it, fun, it it if it's like a weird marker because it's like. Well, like this is no less or more of a capitalist state than, like you know, yeah. it's it's, you know, it's just like that. That's why I go with an argument that China is a little bit closer to that than Russia, yeah. at least because it does have some ideological differences from the United States in terms of like how right. capital right. is viewed. Right. It's not a good version of that. It's not a good counterpoint. Right. It it doesn't stop the U.S. from doing anything. Uh, or yeah. anything like that, but like you know, it's just like it's interesting to see. Like you, you, I, I think you could make a pretty valid argument that like we get further and further down the line of like we can do anything we want as the USSR gets weaker and weaker, as its grip yeah. on like its role in the international politics gets less secure. America and its allies get more and more bold about like, well, we don't really have to care about like right the civilians. In this in, instance, right. do we? Um, right. 
until we get to where we are now, right? Where like we might as well the the idea that like civilians should be protected in, in these sorts is is yeah. non-existent at this point, right? We just need to look and, at only anything that's happening right now, right? And we don't we don't even have to get to today and talk about U.S. allies, which obviously uh, would would play into the conversation around Carlos and Palestinian freedom, certainly. But even looking at the Obama administration and the American drone program, oh yeah, absolutely, where uh, everyone's a terrorist by nature of having been killed by one of our right drones. yeah you are yeah the the sort of reverse logic of like well a drone blew you up so you must have been a terrorist right and and, and i and would argue the exact same ju- justification we're getting I, right you'll there. notice now right. w- you want to go really far afield right because we might as well this is this podcast uh open yeah. ai is doing its whole has has removed recently removed it's like no armed forces agreements rule yeah and it gets even easier. It's a fascinating idea that, like, the primary, like, remaining role that, like, really its only real purpose for existing would, for something like quote unquote AI to exist, would be to actually make that statement, like, quote unquote irrefutable, right? Like, yeah. oh, well, the drone blew you up. You must have been a terrorist. Yeah. Because, like, you can then just sort of reverse engineer that into existence in a way you never were able to before, right? Before, somebody in a CIA headquarters had to, like, concoct documents about you to prove you were a terrorist. Now, well, the the machine, the machine, the machine mind said you were. So, here you go. Done and done. We've, yeah. we, we've, um, we have all the information. We, we have all the justification we need to have done the thing we did. Not that we actually provide. I have to provide justification because that's no, that does not apparently seem to be a necessi- necessary point. Oh, man. Fine. Um, We're having a good time here. Uh, we are. We are. So so back to the movie real quick. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you want the to. The OPEC raid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the OPEC raid, first off, um, I don't, I'm sure it's true to life. Because this would be stuff, the sort of thing that's documented and there's video footage and photographs. Uh, But the group of 1970s terrorists who walk into the OPEC headquarters uh, at the beginning of this movie, uh, no group of people has ever looked like more 1970s terrorists than that group of people. And the idea that Carlos just says, walks up to the desk. (laughs) Is it still happening? Conference still happening. A uh, counterpoint, and is every nineteen person in the nineteen seventies look like a nineteen seventies terrorist? That's fair. That's fair. The, the whole <laughs> the whole decade had a vibe, a vibe that said, yeah. "I'm here to smoke cigarettes and maybe maybe take a hostage." <laughs> right, right, right. Get me a plane to Cuba, especially when you consider how much those photographs of. Of uh, Carlos, that they have on Wikipedia, just also look like DB Cooper for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's just, it's just the uh, decade. It just the decade does it to people. It's, it's a thing. With the OPEC scenes, I was disappointed after we got Angie talking up the uh, uh, the operator, the phone operator, in his interview last week. I was yeah, you know, I was like, this seems movie. disappointing. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Do you think it was abbreviated to to it, like now I really want to this is like the only thing I care about the the actual truth of. I care about nothing else. Yeah. Like the rest Whether of the story or not there was actually a switchboard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's the only thing I care yeah. about. I'm like I need to this is the thing I need deep extensive research done about. I want somebody to yeah. to like definitively prove to me 
whether or not there was a switchboard or like three phones on a desk. Yeah. Because yeah. it matters to me. <laughs> it just does. does. Yeah. Uh, the uh, where are we? We're in uh, we're in Austria. Yeah, we're in Austria. We're this, in Vienna, right? Yeah. yeah, we're in Vienna. Um, the riot cops slash soldiers who respond, uh, who look like they're just World War II cosplayers, was very very interesting for for this being nineteen seventies. Well, uh, you gotta. I mean, let, let's okay, Adam. Let's be real clear here. Um, a lot of countries did not bother yeah. to replace either their uniforms or the people wearing them. Of course, of course, yeah. Uh, uh but yeah, they're just in the long coats with the uh, with the World War One trench hats, really. Uh, oh yeah, they got the they got the deep bulbous bucket thing going on. It's very yeah, like yeah, yeah. Well, actually, weirdly enough, like Austria is part of the the Western Bloc, right? Right, right. But yeah. like, but like, they look like East German soldiers, basically. They do. They do. It's, like, it looks yeah. like they're buying their military supplies from East Germany. Right. Uh. Yeah. Which, again, probably true to life, but also gives this movie a, a sense of fakeness because they look like extras out of Hogan's Heroes. And even even another layer to that, my notes my notes actually say they look like displaced World War II partisans disguised as Nazis. Yes, you're right. Or you're 100 percent like, right. Yes, like they, they look like there's something else about them. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it's the extrasness of them. If I'm being honest, I think yeah. they they seem like they maybe had a hard time getting believable extras to cover all the people yeah. they needed. So it started to look more like, well, we found some people on the street to dress up like this, and we told them to carry the gun and run. Um, yeah. Uh, do you think it's uh, like the sort of thing an American production would do, and they just uh, contacted the war reenactors and were like, "Hey, guys, want to be in a I, movie? I, You've I, already got the costumes." I, I guess, I, yeah. The thing I've got to wrap my head around is the fact that these are this is 2010. Yeah, but like the idea that there are people who are like, you know, what I do for my hobby? I dress up like a, I was dressed up like a 1970s Austrian soldier. <laughs> yeah. For my in my free time and reenact you know, the OPEC raid, um, you know though there are those people. I mean, uh, if you if you'll reenact the Civil War, you'll reenact f- any old fucking thing, won't right. you? Like, yeah. If you're gonna reenact um, that thing, you're just you're you'll do anything. The implied but non commented on disdain the Austrian government must have for OPEC to send in ham sandwiches. Oh, I know, right? Uh, it's it's like so painfully like I there it's like it's all, okay, like we this is one of those things where I'm not convinced 100% that it's true. Yeah. Uh you'd have to I would need the historical sources probably. It's more like it's a setup for the guy from Venezuela to ha- be able to eat on camera. Yeah. To be like, "Well, I'll eat them." <laughs> you just You just think of say us just wanted him to eat on camera so or, bad yeah, maybe to... like but also the idea and, that like this is a time for like a brief moment of levity to exist yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in this no, it story is. it is um i guess we could go i bet the opec like uh, hostage wikipedia page might actually have something like that yeah uh the other thing from that scene that that caught my attention um the uh 
Carlos, their little yeah, search for ham area. on the OPEC siege reveals no results on the Wikipedia page. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, you think it'd be mentioned at least. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, That's what I'm saying. I, I feel like it would be the sort of yeah. weird detail that somebody in Wikipedia would like write in this fucking article. Yeah. Uh, Carlos has an extended conversation, private conversation in like that little break room area with the, uh, the Saudi uh, oil minister, Yamani. And uh, and during that, Carlos in in trying to argue we're not so different says the role of OPEC is to help third world countries in their development, not to support imperialists in maintaining oppression. And I don't know what OPEC was like in 1975, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I shared with you before we started recording that I learned the phrase uh, uh, "pausawid." Uh, the purpose of a system is what it does. Right. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the purpose of OPEC is not to help third world countries and not support imperials maintaining. Well, I, I would argue that probably OPEC is does it, it is does follow what it is, and in, in that it, that's not it. I would argue that it is probably yeah. it is to allow it is a it's sort of classic like capital collusion right it's like well we can we can control the price of this thing through an agreement among us right like right it's neither a nor b basically of the two posited possibilities right right? it is it is just like well we need to make as much money off of oil as we possibly can right opec's point is not to maintain the power structures of the west Per se, it is meant to wrestle some of that power from the West in order to make money. Right, exactly, yes. To, uh, to divert some of that wealth to not third world countries, but to specifically oil, bear, or, yeah. or, like, or oil possessing nations, right, basically. Right. And, and to be perfectly fair, while, while getting, well, certainly for the vast majority of OPEC members, Getting that money into their national coffers is a good thing, as opposed to just having the oil exploited by the West. For a good chunk of OPEC's business model, the West does need to exist. Uh, well, yeah, of course, and and uh, and never mind the fact that, that like in, in the process that the United States is engaged with with most of the OPEC countries over the last three decades. Getting it into the hands of the national coffers is basically not a non-existent concept, because right. they've replaced nearly every single one of those governments with um, authoritarian, ultra-religious yeah. regimes. Where really, it's just putting it in the hands of like a guy, yeah, who yeah. is not going to feed that back into the na- the national coffers in any real meaningful way, right? Right, right. I guess I balance that only because uh, I think popularly we think about OPEC being. Saudi Arabia, uh, Iran, uh, you know, Middle Eastern countries. But obviously what we see as OPEC in, in this movie even uh, are South American countries, yeah, yeah, absolutely. African countries, the, the oil-producing countries that are not the big players necessarily, um, but are still at the table because OPEC, only because OPEC exists. And that that's everybody rise together uh original purpose of opec is maybe something carlos could could lean on as as something he wants uh 
Right. I mean, but, and uh, you and you really look at like, yeah, exactly. Like, and, and and I think I'm just not convinced that even even by this point in time, OPEC no, I'm is, not either. And I, and if I'm being like completely honest, I I sincerely doubt that this conversation or anything akin to it really took place. Right. You know what I mean, or or anything that like even resembles what's said in this conversation. Like yeah. maybe the conversation took place, but like my suspicion is that like various characters in the movie, including Carla, like including Carlos, used as a mouthpiece to express the movie or society's general ideas or something that are all kind of um, pretty uh, poorly formate, formatted talking points and more than anything else, right? Like it's like, it's more like what the movie imagines Carlos would imagine OPEC is for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's several steps removed right. probably in, that, in, in, in my mind because it's very childishly argued. Um, in yeah, a way, what's interesting to that, the, like doesn't to feel the movie, legitimate though, to anybody. Yeah, what's interesting to the movie though, from that from that point of view, is that it's Carlos. I guess, I guess that's early enough in this film because we are we are on a path with Carlos where the overarching narrative does not seem to want to suggest that Carlos was always just about the money. That this is the path of leading Carlos from being ideological to right. profit motivated. So within that moment, Carlos is still ideologically motivated, um, and then by the end of this episode, he will be only profit motivated. Right? Uh, Even then, by the end that, of this episode, we're not. It's not clear that it's a pure profit motivation. Like it, it just isn't. right, 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 right. It's it's pragmatic, and, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily like. It's like right. it's still operating on the idea of what he says on the airplane to start, which is like, well, you need money to run a revolution. So I got money. Right, 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 right. Um, and yeah. it doesn't really feel like we departed that far from that, even by the time we get to the end of this episode. Uh, where and and the reality of the matter is the reason I said what I'm saying is that like this has the mouth this has the mouth feel of of somebody who's not got a good ideal like a good like theoretical ideological framework operating in their mind trying to figure out what a marxist would say to an oil minister about the purpose of opec does that make sense right it's right, like right, well yeah. i've not i don't like it doesn't require intense analysis to understand that opec isn't doing what carlos says it's doing in his statement to the minister and so it comes off as more like just well we need him to make an argument here and we don't have a good one like we don't have a good one laying around let's we but we gotta write something in here right it's it's yeah. it's the <laughs> it's it's the it's the material it's the it, like Marxist, like, sort of materialist version of, like, when a movie needs a doctor to say something really smart, but nobody in, on staff is a doctor? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's just there's nobody, nobody's naive <laughs> enough to believe that's what OPEC was for, like, even in 1970-whatever it is, 1975 or whatever. It's just, think. no. It, well, that, I mean, maybe they are, but again, I, I would lean towards the, the conversation's just fiction. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. Which is interesting. We get the behind-the-scenes stuff this week. Um, not just uh, Denny Lenoir 
uh, the cinematographer talking about things, but also sort of a, a making of the OPEC scene that we get, and we get a lot of SAS talking during that. Um, and a lot of... We see some things in that where, like, Ramirez, uh, the guy playing Carlos, asks asks about certain details, and Asaya says, "Well, that's how that's how it really was. So we can't we can't change it." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, uh, it's like as though he has like definitive. Like, I guess you, knowing where the I mean, in that one situation, knowing where the hostages were yeah. kept might be a thing they actually know. Um, Right. Just in terms of like, well, we were looking through, like, people were looking through windows and like reporting shit, basically. But like, yeah. But like, yeah, it, 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 it's that sort of, I, I was also taken aback by that assert, like, that certitude that is suddenly exists. Yeah. And the thing that's like, at multiple points, we say, we hear us say, say, well, like, you know, we don't, all, all film is fiction. And like, Sort of right. like writing the justifications for why there's a lot of like sort of basically made up stuff in the movie, which again, yeah, you're right. Like, there's not enough. Yeah. There's not enough details to make a perfectly. You would, a. It's always going to have bias in fiction to a certain extent, right? I do agree with that as a fundamental statement. He's not wrong about that, right? But like you know, even a hardline documentary is still well, fiction in many ways, right? He's. He's really conflicted about that point, too, though, right? Because he talks about how, uh, with 35 years past, what was inscrutable at the time, now we now we can have all the details, right? Well, I, but, think, I think what he's... My, my understanding of that, and what I was... And this is just my interpretation. My interpretation of that was he meant more like the reasons why people do things and, like the, yeah, and what yeah. the effects are going to be. 35 years on, we understand what the results of this will be. Right. Right. Like what the aftermath of it will be, like how people will end up reacting to those things that nobody at the time was aware of. Right. Like nobody knows, you know, but you're also right in the sense that like he does kind of give the idea that like, well, we actually know because we we have all the records like people have talked to who didn't would not have talked 30 years ago. But things would have been classified 30 years ago. right. Right. Uh, yeah, that's how I took it, but but perhaps you're right because you know he. Does, I think it's readable he both does ways. Go really. then, yeah, he does then and go uh, go on and say you know we've we've based these characters as much as we can on the real people, uh, but there's gaps that have to be filled in, uh, motivations that have to be invented, specific actions that right. have to be decided upon <laughs> and um, honestly speaking it seems like half the time it's filled in with made-up conversations and ham sandwiches yeah, yeah. like is what it um, feels like it gets filled in with to a certain extent lenoir talking about the opec set as a set was interesting because it it really feels like it not only a rebuilding real building but but possibly the real building uh just the way it's filmed is so very. I mean, if you tell me that the OPEC siege, I mean that the building that it took place in still exists because like nobody ever tears down a, a Soviet or like a nobody tears down even not even a Soviet right. nobody tears down a 1960s or 70s building that was built out of concrete because like you're not gonna build a better right. one. <laughs> like yeah. you're not gonna build a, a building that like you're not nobody wants to spend the money first of all to build like new large scale like government infrastructure a b like. Yeah. 
you know, nobody, most of the time that concrete's thick enough that they're like, well, it's not worth tearing down. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, just presenting it, presenting it as a set, but the way he talks about, like, shooting in the, like, break room scene, it's not shot as if it's in a set. The room is physically existent as a room, not as right. A it movie seems set, like I wonder. Right? I'm really curious. Like we don't get enough details. It seems like maybe the conference room is. Re- he says like straightforward. The conference room was yeah, rebuilt yeah, yeah. on a soundstage, whereas yeah, maybe the break might... room is an actual break room somewhere. Yeah, that might be solely it. That only only certain rooms within the OPEX stuff. Because, like, the hallways exist as hallways, whether or not they're sets. Right. It, uh, it, it, it seems to me, from, like, my, from what, when they're talking about it, it seems like, to, uh, to a certain extent, this was made on a shoestring budget. And yeah. um, so, like, they, I think maybe certain rooms that they couldn't find a good match for got built on yeah. sound stages. Anything else that you could just, like, find as a real place? Uh, yeah. You yeah, it's just, just interesting did. because everything. Everything Lenoir talks about the way they shoot it and the handhelds and like the the uh, rig he had uh, that he was using for the first time. That's essentially a a, a back mount, mounted. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? So that the camera doesn't steady shift. Cam? So he's not actually holding it. Yeah, it's a yeah, steady st- cam, yeah. Uh, like yeah. Uh, gimbal is what I was. Looking oh yeah, for. that is what you're looking for. Uh, but like the way it's shot in those tight quarters, even even if it's just the conference room itself that's that's recreated, uh, it's shot as if they don't have the space for dolly work, and they're right, they're right. super like, and like the only time we see them use dollies are outdoor scenes, so like they didn't they didn't build this as a set in order to have a dolly that would go down the center of the room or something. Yeah. No, it's seemingly so, like that. Yeah, you're right. The thing they built still had four walls and and maybe a ceiling. It's right. it really feels like right. it's I. They're not very clear about what's going on. So it's also possible that somebody that like when they talk about rebuilding that that um, conference room as a yeah. as a set on a soundstage, it kind of has more of a feeling of a, well, like it actually occupies the full size of the place that they had available to them. And yeah. it's more like, well, we just redecorated to look like a '70s office building, not so much like we built a right. room. Um, Maybe again with with a budget yeah. that seemingly they had a very very tight budget, so it has the feel of like almost everything has the feel of like, well, we did this in a place we could find that would like yeah. let us the do it there. The conference room and the behind the scenes stuff in the conference room are are one place where Lenoir does not talk about the lighting. Uh, and the use of artificial lighting versus versus the natural coming in the light, uh, windows, etc. Um, his talk about lighting in this movie is is pretty interesting because so much of this movie is is lit by like on screen lights. I mean, like, I will I will not, get one of the things I will give the movie is that it's it's sort of diegetic lighting is 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 the movie is very nice looking, like. Yeah. Absolutely. They, they they talk about that in multiple both of the the cinematographer stuff and and they're right like it makes the scenes pop right it gives every scene that we watch a different feel and a different mood yeah. that like that works really well like you know the 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 office building stuff has the harsh fluorescence that feel very office buildingy 
And then other places right. we have much softer, moodier lights that that feel more warm or more human. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I can imagine that coming out in 2010, the choice could have been made to do this more like traffic, and have like and a just really hyper color correct it. Yeah. Yeah, and a different filter for when we're in Europe and a different filter for when we're in South America, et cetera, et cetera. I guess we're never actually in South America, but not yet. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just really naturalistic and everything. Yeah, no, and I, it's really see, nice. Right? I mean, it's like so, it looks yeah. really – the the one thing you can, like – you cannot argue about this movie is that it looks really good. For, for what is yeah. essentially a made-for-TV movie, it is – very successful. Right. Um, apparently, and, OPEC owned that building. That is the OPEC okay. building. Um, I mean, that makes sense. Because our article is about it moving from that building into a new building. Yeah, like, almost many, certainly. Many, many years later. Well, they many years a, later. A different. Yeah. Um, and, like, the thing, uh, the reason I find that interesting is just mainly because now it's occupied by a law firm. But, like, um, I find that interesting just because that makes the security even funnier in many ways, like more tragically funny in the yeah. sense that like not only did these, these, these people who definitely look like seventies terrorists walk into your, uh, in your, like, it's not even like a conference room, like in a hotel or like a government building. No, they walked right, into right. your building. Yeah. Like, shouldn't you know who should and shouldn't be there? I, really I, yeah. I was just sorry. It's, it's very all, amusing right? in a dark way that like, just like yeah, well, I, like just nobody stopped anybody from just like walking in with guns into your own build. Like I don't know, like it's just very strange sounding. Of course, yeah, of course. As you've already said earlier, we live in a very different. world. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, like well, they lived in a world where like you take like everybody lived in a world at that time where like the worst thing that happens is you get taken hostage and your government has to pay a yeah. bunch of money. Right, like that's scary, but relatively low stakes, right? Like, you're some of the richest yeah. people in the world. Like, you can afford to just be taken hostage and just, you. Know, I mean, you got security to like stop, like, you know, somebody from basically making a scene. Your security's not there to like form an armed resistance against like invaders, you know? Um, right. And in many ways, you're you're by you are living into the the modern the concept of the modern ordered world where it's it's okay, right? Like, no one's gonna come in and just blow up the place or like start shooting up the place. Like at worst, again, right. they'll like maybe they'll come in and do some protests and make a scene. That's why you have the security guards to like kick the people who are protesting yeah. out. And like, right? If it gets real serious, you just hand over some money. Yeah. But nowadays, nowadays your security detail is a BlackRock subsidiary, and anyone who comes into the building with guns and intent on killing you is also a BlackRock subsidiary. This is also so. true. Well, and to be fair, like yeah. bearing in mind that like everybody agrees and understands that like the thing we have now is still the same thing that was then. It's just theater and show. It's just right. the like the sort of the the theatrics of it all has been amped up basically because. Those guys are still not going to stop this thing from happening. Right, right, right. They're just not. Like, they just, they, there's, because, like, same as, like, the TSA agents are not going to stop a terrorist attack. They're just not going to. They don't have, they, yeah. they're not there to make that thing happen. Lenoir is interesting. Uh, he says that he believes the way the OPEC situation plays out in the movie is very close to reality. And, like, what basis does Denis Lenoir have to say that? <laughs> 
is just kind of funny to me. It sort of just seems that everybody wants the hand wave and say, yeah, it's pretty probably pretty close. Yeah. Like, we don't... Right. Like, I'm betting, I'd bet my bottom dollar that, like, the most well-informed expert on this topic couldn't tell you whether this is accurate or not. Right, right, right. Much less just some random people, basically. Yeah. And and as SAS says in the other one repeatedly, you know, there's there's only a certain extent historical fact can take us to. Right. right? Um, and the one the the one quote I have from him, one of the first things he says once he starts talking is, "I don't know if we're telling if what we're telling here is." true to the OPEC hostage crisis. Uh, I don't know if it's true to Carlos either. Um, but we're presenting life in humanity. And maybe that allows us to better understand the spiral that leads to what was done and took place. Uh, and yeah, you know, his point is to tell a human biography, right? Right. He's not. Well, and you just get into this sort of thing where like, okay, well now what we're really doing and there's nothing really wrong with this. Is we have we have create we have found an interesting stage on which to form to 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 present a historical uh, a, a, a historical fiction drama, right? Right. This is an this is a an event in history that was important and that is engaging and interesting, like on a human level, for people to right. watch. And at some point, you just have to throw up your hand and say, I'm just doing a historical fiction drama. It's fine. That's just yeah. what this is. I think the issues yeah. that we run into basically is that the movie wants to occasionally reassert its like authenticity. It can't quite yeah. let go of the idea that, like of just saying right up front, instead of just saying right up front, this is a historical fiction right. about the life of Carlos yeah. It says, that, well, we tried really hard to do it. Like, wants to hedge its bets by being like, well, we did a lot of research. We tried really hard. Um, and so, but we must still understand this is fiction, is a is a hedged bet, right? It's a, right. we still want you to take this seriously. We want you to watch this and think you understand what happened. And I would right. argue that in many ways that's a negative thing to do. I, Presenting it as purely historical fiction I, allows your audience to be free of the idea that they understand what happened. I would at least want them to be more upfront with themselves than they seemingly are to acknowledge that when we let improvisation come in, we are taking the political biases of the actors, Absolutely. the directors, mm -hmm. the financiers into consideration <sighs> in the way this is acted. Yeah. When you have uh, Carlos like, make a nonsensical argument to the Saudi Arabian oil yeah. minister, you're now yeah. just saying what you're just a mouthpiece for somebody's ideas. Um, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like I like I think you could have gotten away with this a little bit easier again if you're if your upfront sort of explanation at the beginning is more explicit and it says, look, like details on this event are sparse. The ones yeah. that were known to be fact or whatever we put in there. Everything else we basically just made up. I mean, you wouldn't I, say I it would that like way. I would like an acknowledgement that. That we can't even know that the facts are facts. Absolutely, I agree. But like right. you could, you could. They've, yeah, they've, but... they, they've hedged their bet. Like I also agree yeah. that like the facts are also not facts. But like, right? They've hedged their bet even way harder than that. They want you to take this as a legitimate historical document yeah. with a bit of fiction sprinkled in for flavor. And I don't think that's I don't think that's fair to the audience in many ways because what you're you're now 
some number of people have watched this and said, well, I know what happened at the OPEC siege. I know right. about the life of this person. I understand who they were. And, and and that feeds into the narrative that we were talking about in the previous episode about the idea that like of rendering him both non-ideological and ideological at the same time, right? Right. Both right. both both meaningful and, and, and irrelevant at the same time, right? Like, well, because you need him to be both, right? At any given time, you need him to occupy both spaces in history at the same time, right? You need him to both have an ideological bent so that you can condemn that bent. And then you also need him to be totally non-ideological and out for money because that's what you need all the terrorists to be. Because otherwise, right. they might actually have a point that needs to be addressed by society. Uh, and right. that's not allowed to be true. That's just not a thing that is allowed to exist. Especially about Palestine. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, like, 100%. Yeah, like, Palestine being yeah. the most true of that statement that you could possibly be. Before we get away from Lenoir, I do want to say, uh, the way he finishes uh, his little interview section, I really love uh, talking about the importance of having a good director uh, in charge of your good cinematographer. And I guess the only reason I'm I'm thinking about it is uh, for our holiday episode, we did Bloodbeat. And <laughs> yeah. Bloodbeat is is a movie is a movie that very obviously had a talented and good uh director of photography and just a terrible director yeah, and a guy who had no idea <laughs> what he wanted uh in many yeah. well no actually so, correction absolutely knew what he wanted just didn't know how to make that thing a thing that appears on film so then while saying you know a, a good director of photographer uh, a good director of photography without a good director will either get lazy or get bored uh, Bloodbeat is obviously an example of, of right, my director right. of photography yeah. getting bored. Uh, but yeah, I I need a director to direct me is something Lenoir specifically says. And, you know, I, I appreciate the idea of... Because I don't even I don't think that's an argument for hierarchy. I think it's an argument for everyone having their purpose. Well, and I, uh, I think it's also an argument for like... In the end, when you have a fairly broad organization, you need you don't need a director, but what you do need is a way to come to common conclusions, right? You need right a director right, right. is the commonly chosen source of that that connective tissue, but it doesn't have to be, right? Like you do yeah. need a way to determine this is what's going to happen here. Like yeah. whatever that method is, you need to all be like because it's interesting because even in this you see some disjointedness, right? In the sense that like the uh, I've kind of lost track because I was watching that one on the cinematography. The other one, there's like two different ones on cinematography. Yeah, they there's also a shorter one where it's him talking about specific scenes. But yeah. and, and and well, they get into this idea like because there's the there's a kind of a discussion about like people not necessarily communicating about that 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 um realistic that real lighting and the fact yes. that like the way that like that became a common thread was kind of not through a direct communication of the idea but rather through you know through sort of accidental back channels not that anybody was trying to hide anything from anybody or anything like that right it's just like oh nobody thought to mention this to the other director of photography you know what i mean like we've got right. two people shooting yeah. shots and one of them doesn't know what the other hand is doing well, that's where you get something like a benefit of having a person who knows all the things and broad strokes are going on so that right. th those things can though, be communicated. Like these two scenes don't look the same kind of thing. Though it's interesting that Lenoir does not say, Aseas pointed this out to me. 
Lenoir says, uh, I observed the other director of photography. That's what for I mean. One that's day. exactly what I'm talking then, about. Is it sort and of then talked to the crew. Right. Uh, and like and that's it was what I mean is like who told me. Exactly. There's sort yeah. of back channels that that's what I'm saying is that like right. even in this film where we're talking about why you need a power, like a strong director, quote unquote, it's still not fulfilling all the functions that it's meant to fulfill. You still get a disjointed right. sort of like, well, that's not a perfect way to communicate information across boundaries. Um there's a flaw to the idea of a central head operating things. And who's supposed to be the right. central conduit, right? Because they don't always know what information is or isn't important. Um, but my point, I, yeah, I agree with you. Like, it's not a call for hierarchy, but it is a call for organization. <laughs> like, yes, like, and 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 cooperation, right? Like, an idea that, like, well, we all right. have to know. Everybody needs to know what's going on. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Lenoir is not an anarchist at heart. No, but, no, yeah, uh, but but he, but he recognizes his his stance his position within that cooperation as one that needs to take information from the people who are hierarchically below him uh, and learn from them as well. Right. Right. And and so, the, an interesting thing that, that that's worth thinking, uh, that's also worth thinking about in this is that like we have run into movies where the director of photography essentially is, uh, absorbs the role of making all of those decisions. Right. There are right. different ways it can work out, and it sort of depends on the director and the director of photography of like who's going to have right. the most power in determining what the scenes look like, right? Because we have certainly watched films where the director of photography is like essentially the man in charge in terms of like the person in charge in terms of like determining what like any scene's going to look like, right? Like it, we've and the director's like, yeah, I trust you, do whatever you want, slash like, yeah. I trust you, do whatever you want, can also be read as, like, I don't know, just do whatever you want, right? Like, I'm not in charge of that, that's your job. And then sometimes you get the director who, the director of photography might as well just be a a puppet on his hand, right? Like, it really depends on each scenario, on each uh, situation, case by case. The other cinematographer is a guy named uh, Yorick Lasso, and he's also had a very extensive career. Uh Uh, and off the, seemingly off the strength of this movie, uh, Variety named him as a cinematographer to watch, uh, in 2011. Um, well, seemingly he's the like he's the one who makes the decision about the naturalistic lighting and stuff, and it like proves right. really like strong, right? Like as we talked about it, it he's got an eye that that works, it's quite good. Like he made a like visually very uh, gripping film. Yeah, it's interesting that he only shot part one, seemingly. Uh, yeah, I, it, it, but like it's interesting because like he could, was able to establish the style that dominates throughout the rest of the thing, right? Like it's right, right, right. You shoot part one, yeah. you might as well, you and, might as well shoot all, but right, but right. And in in another testament to Lenoir, Lenoir's approach to collaborative, right, right, work. It's like I'm, he's he like, didn't, absorbs, didn't, yeah. Right. He's yeah, like, and really well, carries it. Match. Yeah, carries it forward, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lenoir also talking about how Asaya shot everything, uh, basically at least twice, possibly up to four times, and then just built every scene in editing. Uh, is a nice behind the scenes thing here, but uh, but it also seems like. There's no difference between each take. So they're not like 
like acting wise, right? It's well, just where the cameras are. Right. I think they just run the I think they try I think the goal seems to be to it's like having a multi cam shot, but like you, right. but like instead it's over time. And and like I I mean I think some of that comes down to really good editing. I think the editing's done really, really well to make like to hide any like overt yeah. differences that would like ruin it for the audience. But I think also it's like the improvisation stops once the camera starts rolling seemingly. Like, you know what I mean? It's like well, we improv to like figure out what this was going to be, but yeah, now it's but going to be the same had, thing four times in a row. We've also had a say a say fairly particularly that there's they didn't rehearse. Well, there was one scene they didn't rehearse. Like I I I think the wires I also was like, wait, what? Like when we when we were doing that, but I think that yeah. was I think that's like kind of a miss I think it's a mistake. I think it's an accident. I don't think because yeah. it's that one scene. He's like, "Of course we didn't rehearse," and I think yeah. he meant specifically. Maybe. I think maybe the interview got edited. Well, there's because he then later says like, "Well, we showed up really late to that one, um, that one shoot, and like, oh yeah, we had this famous this. actor, and like, we're like, we just got to do it in one, right? We just have to do it. We've only got yeah. they've only got it one handheld the... camera. They don't have a full crew." Yeah, that was the uh, helicopter landing, and also it was nighttime. <laughs> it was getting to be right. Dusk. Exactly, they've got so they a million to, things yeah. like, land, and you've got this one famous actor who they've got for like one day, and right. they've got a helicopter yeah. that they've got for a specific amount of time. It's just like we just got to fucking shoot this. We're not gonna. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think the entire thing wasn't rehearsed because the way you see them going about um, the rest of the scenes, for example, in the OPEC building yeah. uh, scenes, it's very planned, right? Like. I say this is yeah, now well, talking to them between, all. And... There's a difference between planning and rehearsing. Like rehearsing means a specific thing. No, like I know, running, but like, but if it, you right? if you think you would put that much effort into the planning and then not rehearse it, that seems nuts. Yeah, yeah. It's also just nuts to think that they they'd shoot multiple times if they're going with the actor's gut reaction to the script, basically. Right. Or, yeah. Or it's, it just other. doesn't. I I think you probably. I think like. I think that was a weirdly yeah. misspoken sentence. Right. I think actually what my suspicion is that the interview was edited and those two phrases were reversed. Yeah, that might be true. And then like, of course um, we didn't practice comes after logically the setup for yeah. like why, like what was going on makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that might be true. I think it's just probably an accident um, it, that like it, it came off sounding the way it sounded. Because I thought the yeah. same thing. I was like, wait, what? That's no, that's impossible. Right. That That cannot be true about this movie. It seems yeah. we too obviously have, buttoned up for that. We have observ- observation of Ramirez asking questions about motivation and the reason things are happening, right? So, yeah, we know we know there is planning and and decision making going into it, right? But it, I I just think it would be a very it would be a very strange world where you spend a lot of time planning and then you'd be like, yeah, but just do whatever you want, <laughs> like you yeah. know what I mean, and like don't practice. Like, at least for the camera, right? Because especially you're doing... The movie's got a lot of camera moves in it. You'd have to, like, practice yeah. it. Just because, th- if nothing else, to avoid fucking running into each other. Like, you'd have... Like, the blocking has to be kind of on point if you've got a handy cam in a tiny room. Like, a, 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 right. a, like a, ha- a handheld camera in a tiny room with multiple people. Otherwise, everybody's stepping on everybody's toes all the time. 
Yeah, the way Lenoir talks about the lack of choreo- choreography in the violence, uh, I think is also true to a lack of choreography in how he's interacting. Like, he's there, but everyone's just got to trust each other and treat the camera as another actor, basically. Right, right. right. Uh, and, I, I, you know, that's that's certainly possible. As it is, but then it. I would think you would probably, um, like, we do see them make a mistake in one of the behind-the-scenes thing. Where a take That's goes true. wrong, um, yeah. with the, with the with the track like the track cam outside like uh, like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, I I don't know. My suspicion right. is that it probably when it comes right down to it, it's mostly filmed the way every movie's filmed, except for like yeah. the big difference is that Isaias doesn't want to do just a master like close up to like cut in. He wants like well framed right. shots from multiple angles that he can cut in instead, and right. That's like interesting, mainly because it's sort of instead of hedging your bets with like this one sort of like generic film right. shot, you're you're like, no, no, we're gonna do this again until we have all the shots we actually want. We're gonna hedge our bets by only doing coverage. Is a weird choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say yes. Yeah. Um. Well, it's also uh, like, and they're also it's also 2010, and they're still wait. Like, are we at the era of digital stuff? Right. Because they're doing exclusively film stock, and yeah, and they're like talking about well, because we don't know what's going on. I'm like, guys, like it's 2010. You could know what's going on, like if you wanted to. Chase shot on the red and comes out two years before this, right? So. And like, Chase the first one, but like I remember reading so many fucking articles about how the red was going to change the world. Yeah. Like you want to shoot on film stock, great. Like I'm just saying, like it's not like nobody had a gun to your head to yeah. like to make it. I mean, again, beautiful results. Like I'm not gonna knock right. what they got I, out of it. Excellent given, work. Given but. all the bonus features we've seen on the red, uh, I'm gonna say the lighting of this film could not have existed the way it exists. I think you're probably right. Yeah, you're you are probably right yeah. about that. I think you would probably have to do a lot of post color correction, and that's how you get traffic. That's yeah. why you get the Middle East is yellow. Um, right, right, right. Instead of much more subtle lighting in this film. I mean, there's still color correcting going on, guaranteed. But I think the film's, yeah. to a certain extent, I wonder if the film stock and the naturalistic lighting in it allows you to, like, not do as much. Yeah. Because the colors are just there already. And you're amping them up a little bit instead of just inventing new ones. I appreciate in the behind the scenes for the OPEC bit of Isaias talking about how we base this on as much reality as reality is known and then improvise the rest. But the woman playing Nada, uh-huh. Nada is such a flat character. I <laughs> like, know, right? It's like it's like objectively disappointing. Like Yeah. You're like, well, not only that, but like it feeds into a thing that Carlos is, says later to um Oh, what's her name? Cop. Where it's like yeah. um that like it makes that read that scene read even like more like upsetting because like yeah. it's like, well, every woman's just uh, uh, you give her a gun and she's just a hair trigger, she'll just fly off the handle. It's like, well, yeah, that is how that character was played, but that character right. does not feel real in even the, the right. even the minorest of regards. Like this person yeah. feels incomprehensible 
Yeah. To the point where like, when she's captured, that scene legit makes no fucking sense. Right. Like, I could not she understand just, anything that evolves from in that scene from beginning to end. I'm like, I feel like Isaiah just needed to, like, get her in jail and couldn't figure out how to, like, my guess is whatever happened there, because it's probably got police records that he could at least use, right? right? My yeah. guess is- Yeah, that's that, another thing that's probably based on- on historical document. Right. But my guess is we've got one of two options. Either the historical documents are so bland that there's just no fun stuff in them. Yeah. Or are because they are written by police equally nonsensical. Right. Yeah. So yeah, what you end up is just a really person flying off the handle just shooting like why? What what's happening yeah. here? And then and then the car runs off the road. And like she just gets out and runs, like what? But runs, but runs down the road. Yeah, it's like what? She's being chased by men on motorcycles. There's a fucking so motorcycle fifteen feet fa- from your feet. Just get on the fucking motor. Yeah. I don't know. Do something instead of just run down Grab the road the and get tackled. It's yeah. like I don't yeah. know. It's it's such a fucking annoying scene. And every scene she's in yeah. works that way. And I don't know if it's a director issue. I don't know if it's an actor issue. I don't know if it's a script issue. It's probably a combination of the three. Um, yeah. Because there's no I way think, that script... I, that, that scenes... script, I don't think anybody could do anything with that scene. That scene was yeah. bad shit. I think the scenes with her on the plane, as as stress is building, it makes sense. Yes uh, and no. I, have, I do have a problem with that. I have one problem with that scene. She is rendered, as far as the movie is concerned, as a petulant child. Yeah. She is screaming, yeah. she's crying, she's hitting seats. It's it, yeah. and like I don't think that's fair. none of the men are reacting that way. I don't think that scene is fair. I, right. I kinda and I, I need think, at least one man to be losing his shit too for that to feel right. okay. And I think if that if that scene is based on historical documentation, it is the inherent misogyny of the people. Oh hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Right. There's she what like there's a reason why the word hysterical still exists in our lexicon, and it's not because of, like, oh, some yeah. things are true. Like, it's like, well, the misogyny's there, and, like, I guarantee you somebody wrote some shit down that was, like, she was losing her I'll shit. Remind she you. was freaking out. I'll remind you, Carlos said sometimes things, uh, you know. Well, I know. I, that's why I brought that up. Truth. I brought that up because yeah. he even, like, sort of hands, hangs a inappropriate lampshade on it. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like this, like, none of her scenes make sense. All of her scenes, she's like, flies off the handle, makes no sense as a person. Okay, right. like, I guess it's possible that there was a person on their crew that was, like, was unstable. But, like, you would think you would have noticed that earlier than that. I don't, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like. Yeah. Okay, here's, here's the other thing, though, right? Carlos and Cop's conversation Definitely not recorded, right? Oh, no, definitely not. No one... Just nonsense. Yeah. Just a made-up conversation. So, so what he says there is what the film... Is what us and the writers is, want us to think. Yeah, is is meant only to justify their portrayal of Nada. 100%. You're right? absolutely right. You're you're 100% right. It's the same as... It is It is a worse version, a greater amplica- amplification of the concept that I talked about with the Saudi oil minister. Of like, Yeah, with the OPEC. This is the yeah. voice of the director talking to you, the audience, right now. Justifying the choices they're making in the movie. Uh, and this is a bad choice. So, 
Yeah. Actually, they're, both of those scenes are doing the, are doing that thing. Actually, are justifying decisions yeah. made in the movie by the director, not by the characters in the movie. Um, right. And this one's worse because, like, this one is just this one just made me. I was when I saw her acting on the plane, I was upset. And then we get to yeah. that scene at the border crossing, and it, it made me like, it made me somewhat dismissive of the movie in many ways. I was like, you guys couldn't like pull your shit together long enough to like have this be a serious person right like okay maybe maybe a little bit like out of control is fine but like you rendered her as like completely unstable and unable to like operate in any capacity she's a fucking terrorist like she clear like if she's still alive now she must be able to operate somewhat in some sort of rat like sort of like controlled rational manner otherwise she'd be long be dead by now I don't. Yeah. I, I. That really. I. I. Yeah. That bothered me, and it. And, and it like, only got worse. Well, yeah. We're also gonna. Pro- and, we might see her again later because she's. She's somebody they have to deal with in prison. I don't know what happens to her in real life. Uh, yeah. I yeah. assume she's assassinated at maybe. some point, or maybe she's not. She dies at the age of forty-four in nineteen ninety-one. Okay, so she's uh, not assassinated from in, prison. Yeah. Uh, she was released from prison because she got cancer, though. Uh, and there is right. Well, that's there, right. Maybe. There is still a, in West Germany. There is still a, a, a such a thing as a, a, a conscientious release or or right, whatever right, the right, word right. I'm looking for is. Well, uh, the idea that, that like, like you're going holding die, right? holding a, a a doomed person in prison is somehow inappropriate and yeah. and, and and might be constitute uh, cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. To, to just watch. Uh, a person she was die actually acquitted. Something. She was acquitted of the OPEC raid. Uh, West German courts did not find enough evidence, uh, despite the fact that this film portrays her as outright murdering without a second thought at least one person. Well, so like, but that's the uh, interesting thing is like we run into this with like with Klein's interview where it's like, how much evidence actually exists of what happened, right? Like, most of the people there yeah. are not in a position to testify for court, right? Because most of the people yeah. there. We're oil ministers and stuff who went back to their home countries and are not going to be called into court, right? Yeah. You've got the functionaries who are released at the end, so they they do they are possible, but you know they all work for OPEC, so that some of them might also not be accessible. And you get in this idea of like, well, who's te- like you need some evidence and testimony to make these things work, and so that's why I found it kind of interesting. It's like, well, you know, that's not, probably not. It seems open and shut because of the way the movie renders it, but I bet like it's pretty hard to prove what a person did during yeah. this thing if nobody who can testify like directly witnessed it. Right. I mean, again, that wouldn't also, be a problem for the United States court because it would just well, we were there, so fucking you did it. Yeah, unless you're a cop, in which case it's uh, well, we know that a whole bunch of you. Did a whole bunch of bad stuff, but we but can none never, of you yeah. had name tags on, right? So it's impossible. And no one's, who, no who one's can naming say. who. Yeah, so, yeah. Who could say? Uh, guess guess no one gets punished since too many of you did this thing, right? Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm also trying to find Nana on the um, act the acting. What what is her actual name? Do we actually know her real name? In the care as a character, uh, the actress's real name or her real? Yeah, name? either because uh, I was, oh Crochet here it is okay. It's it's over in the Tidman. corner as Nana. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, Julia Hummer plays her. 
I was just trying to figure that out because I was uh, like, I, I was trying to get long yeah. before you told me I was trying to get to that that Wikipedia page that you clearly got to much faster than I did. So yeah, I, it it seems like uh, her arrest is probably pretty, uh, at least by the information Wikipedia shares, seems accurate. Yeah, and, but I don't. But the I don't. Thing is the, I don't believe film, anything written in a police report. Basically, <laughs> like right. on, at first blush. The film only needs us to know that Nada got arrested so that Angie's story for Der Spiegel has weight. Right? Right. Yeah, like uh, dramatic because weight. Because we know yeah. that. Yeah. Right, dramatic weight. Because as as a character points out, if Nada breaks, that's that's the key to understanding Angie's story. Right. right. Uh that's that's the codex. Uh but we could also just say, well, Nadia's been arrested. Yeah, you really didn't instead need that of, scene. Well, we end up with, us, we end up yeah. with some of that with um, Angie's scenes as well, where it's like, well, you just need you. This probably could have been half as long and mostly just a conversation, right? Um, right. right. I, I will say that even Wikipedia says after they saw, shot them after they attempted to arrest her, which is different than what we get in the movie, which is her just fire, yeah. firing wildly at them seemingly unprovoked yes i think that is a it's actually an important difference right like it, it is right we see her shoot them while they're just trying to like open the the trunk and we don't even have an explanation that there's like ids and stuff in there right um right instead yeah. we have her it's it comes off as like completely unprovoked and like flying off the handle right Whereas if she's in the process of being arrested and she shoots, we get a very different story suddenly. Things make yeah. a little bit more sense and are a little bit more like, well, at that point, it's be arrested or start shooting, right? Like, that's the two options right. presented. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just, the movie yeah. just it does just does her dirty, basically, beginning to end, it, like it does. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I think you're right. Yeah. And you know the fact that she's acquitted in OPEC means that, and and acquitted in, you know, the early '90s, so it's a matter of public record that she's acquitted of anything that happened in OPEC means that if this movie wants to cover its legal bases, they've got a really fictionalizer, <laughs> right? Like, like they but. Given that it is a matter of legal standing that that her she committed no crimes during the OPEC. Right, speech. right, right. Now you're like now you, she could straight up sue and you. The, like like no. And the movie shows her committing suicide or committing a, a very outright murder. Multiple, uh, right? Like, yeah. And and seemingly out, right as you as you were saying, like out of line with yeah. the facts that even like are generally accepted by. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Even it the is, description of what she does in the OPEC raid in the OPEC siege, yeah, relative to what happens in the movie, does not seem to match up at all. Right, and and maybe it's the fact that she died in 1994 gives the gives the movie makers an opportunity to play her dirty, uh, without without care, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, so, but it still sucks. It still it just makes for like the, yeah. the sh- like the worst character in the film. Yeah, and then to to then have it as a basis for Carlos's later open misogyny against German feminists. Uh, right before another, like, I don't like to accuse sex scenes of being unnecessary. 
that's not a thing I like to do because I think that is a is a dark road for society to go down. But this one, yeah. I fast forwarded it. Ah. Like I'm watching it in the room yeah. next to my like my kids are in the other room and I'm like, I'm like I don't need this. This is doing nothing for me as a, like a as a moviegoer, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. like I like you also need to like once again assert like no this guy is irresistible. Yeah. Like uh, well, it just it, that. But he's scene, not even irresistible in this moment. She's drunk. Yeah. No. I, he yeah. I mean, he's also drunk. he's also a rapist. Yeah. But like, whatever. Like, um, yeah. it. No. It's like it's it's just a strange scene that didn't need to happen the way it happens. Right. It doesn't need to unfold yeah. the way it happens. It comes off. It comes off. Pr- if you combine that with the conversation they've just had, and the way that Nada's character is treated throughout the film. You get a real dark view of like the movie makers' impressions of women. Yeah, like uh, well, it also like because she's not cop as a character is not rendered particularly well in that scene either. It also presents another opportunity to show Carlos as uh, non ideological. Right, that's true. Yeah, cop's boyfriend. Acute, uh, confronts him about them sleeping together and Carlos gets to respond, well, she's a feminist. She can, you know, we have to let her decide and and just live with whatever she decides. Right, right. Uh, even though in that moment it means Carlos wins, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it is a, it has, um, I mean, it, it, instead of doing, I think instead of accomplishing what it wants to accomplish is rendering him as non-ideological, it more just renders him as a piece of shit. Like, yeah. like less non-ideological and, and more movie, just a jerk. Yeah. This movie also wants to present Carlos as a hypocritical piece of shit. Like, which, fine, but, whatever. Like, I've got no qualms with that. Yeah. But but it uses a lot of other people as pawns to make that happen. And 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 yeah. in the doing of that, off as, as on multiple occasions now, rendered them as very shallow, one-dimensional characters to accomplish that goal. Yeah, in in service of making Edgar Edgar Ramirez's character as Carlos more interesting and more engaging, we have to like turn down the volume on like a lot of other characters and make them yeah. like significantly less human. Um, the closest we get to a de- like with with um, Angie being the sort of exception, right? Right. Because the movie also needs an ideological. We does despite because it wants to play that game, also needs an actual ideological counterpoint. Right. An argument to be presented that is like kind of what we were talking about before, which is like somebody doing it the right way. Yeah. Despite picking a person that, like, in the interviews with Klein, I don't know that we would call Klein somebody who did it the right way. He, yeah, yeah. I don't know. His, I still, I can't, like, go of that interview. That interview makes me, my skin crawl a little bit. Yeah. It feels absolutely. so grudge-based in many ways. Like, which, again, yeah. I don't give a shit what, like, like a bar, about, well, like, Carlos as a person. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care. But it has a sort of, to me, that still had a vibe of, like, I'm doing this interview to like, a, write myself out of the history books in the terms of like, because like remember that's like the year or two before he's arrested, like to like try to like yeah 
create a plausible universe where I didn't do anything wrong. And also, right, right, I've right. got a grudge against Car- Carlos, so I'm going to also like portray him in as negative of a light as humanly possible. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, offhandedly, he also just hates Arabs and, um, <laughs> and like Jews. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, right. just like really like, that's the sort of thing like you just, I don't know, that feels like um, the sort of thing you throw in there to really, really like, I just need to crank this up to 11 to make sure everybody yeah. is on my side. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think probably behind the scenes, uh, Angie is being encouraged. Uh, you know, so often you get uh, minor disagreements, uh, particularly among leftists, who that spiral uh, into something major. Into blood feuds, exploitation yes. From exploitation by outside sources, uh, like uh, the CIA. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, like him evading capture for as long as he did does sort of feel, has a sort of, if I'm being very conspiratorially minded, which I try to avoid for the most part, but like you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know that we need to go down that route. Yeah, but I, I, you know, sure. but you know what I mean. I'll, like it's yeah, that's a long time to avoid to to yeah to avoid capture. But yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, but we're also in a in a pre-surveillance state, right? So well, yeah, let's not go that far. We are we are in our pre pre in, like modern intensely digital surveillance state but yeah yes um, you've still got to pay somebody to do facial recognition right yeah <laughs> you have to pay people to look at photos um yeah, yeah no i i don't know my my point just being that like there's i i i don't know my point just being that like this movie does a lot of people dirty to like make carlos a, a more engaging character basically in the end yeah 100 percent. yeah i'm you know, obviously we've just met Cop uh, and Weinrich. Yeah. So presumably in the next film, they will be more full human beings, hopefully. I I have um, no confidence that that will be true. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, none of the other partners of in crime with him are fully-fledged people in most of this fair. movie. We have one character, well, one and a half. Because again, Angie is the only yeah. other character that's like fully rendered. Right. Like none of his other co-terrorists are fully fledged to I guess you know cuz like the other people like Haddad or somebody A are historical figures who like are like yeah. more well known just sort of globally. Yeah, um, but Haddad's last Had, everything after the OPEC raid falls apart with Haddad is is him being a didactic mouthpiece. Yeah, no, or... I I agree with that. I I it's just a sort of like it like and there he's not on screen enough to be like fully fledged anyway. I was just sort of saying that like yeah. they do treat those characters slightly different. Like the ones who are like who somebody could go look at a Wikipedia yeah. page for a little bit differently right. than the people who you can't. If that makes sense. Or or they you know, does that make sense? It's not necessarily that they're like better treated. It's just that like they're treated differently, um, right? That not no one like, and then maybe I'm being too harsh. I don't know, but especially in this episode, even more than the first one, everybody is a cardboard standee, so that that like Edgar Ramirez's character can interact with. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like. And I don't blame him for it. I blame the source material. I blame 
the the in many yeah. ways the writing is not quite up to par. Um, and probably like a glut of characters that like didn't need to be on screen. Like you could have avoided some of the problems with Nada by just like not putting her on, like just not having those scenes. Just didn't need them. Didn't need to be there. Probably yeah. could have had a shorter movie in that result. Right. Again, not a not as arrest can be reported. I by characters. I'm in starting to about co- Angie's. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm starting to come to the conclusion that um, you probably could have actually made a pretty decent three hour movie with this. Like yeah, pretty successfully. Um, a few real quick tweets. Like if you think like for example, like I was complaining about the cop scene, right? You could have probably, you know, if you cut out that last like ten minutes of or five minutes of it. I mean, they have the conversation in the in the room. You still have her be naked for some fucking reason, because you're a French movie and you want her to be naked. Yeah, why um, not? But like, you could like, but I think about a lot of scenes could be could like do with a pretty intense amount of trimming, and still get most of the message across. Like, you don't need the break room scene where they where he's talking to the oil minister at all. Just strictly speaking, completely unnecessary. Um. You start start listening to me like, oh man, yeah, you could get this bad boy down to three hours, no problem. And I would say it'd probably be tighter and like probably more compelling in some ways because you wouldn't sort of be meandering sometimes like this seems to. I mean, we we spent yeah. for example in the last one or in this the beginning of this one we spent a lot of time on that airplane that is kind of unnecessary. Well, as we talked about at the top of the show last week there are an incredibly large amount of different cuts of this film that's true and i think a lot of people probably i'm getting the impression that other people agreed with me and said this is this five and there's two hours of this five and a half hours that do not need to be in here yeah like i don't i don't know what's the 166 minute that might be be a little tight but yeah yeah that's that seems like it's probably too tight, but yeah. there's probably a happy medium yeah. in there. It, it sort of feels like I say is kind of like was like, well, I've got this entire, I've got this entire U-Haul. I might as well put everything in here. Yeah, yeah. Bearing yeah. in mind, he was well, originally I, like commissioned to make something about the arrest, which was presumably right. like a much smaller thing. Yeah. Pres- Presumably, the original film presentation was uh, the second half of film three. Right, right. From what we Although can. I'm fascinated by the idea if they commissioned him to make a three-part miniseries about the arrest. That's also that's a whole different. No, thing. it was it was meant to be a ninety. Minute I know. I was just. I'm just in my mind. I'm imagining says. like so. now you're getting into some like American like um, commando porn type stuff where you're like, well. This is going to be. We're going to draw out the arrest into three one and a half hour uh, features. Yeah, we're like, we're like, it's like really way too much focus on the yeah. commandos who do the arrest or some shit or his dancing skills, I guess. So, so Ramirez has an interesting quote. Uh, Wikipedia quotes it. It's uh, from uh, <laughs> from a con interview uh, from when when the film came out. Uh, which got printed up in a Los Angeles Times article called I Did Not Want to Make Carlos. Okay, us, okay, okay. Um, but uh, uh, 
um, Ramirez says, uh, what we're trying to do is demystify him. This guy who supposedly had everything figured out was not as keen as he said it was said to be. The public and historical image was history's big manipulator, but in many moments of his life, he was being manipulated. And sure, uh, as a motivation for Ramirez, that makes sense. Right. But I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, the full quote from SAS, by the way, is, I did not want to make Carlos because it seemed too crazy and too complicated. Uh, I, to a certain extent, is, I feel like uh, maybe you should have like obeyed your instincts. Um, yeah. Like, well, and what I mean by that is not not make Carlos, but like be more pragmatic about it, be more selective. Like, imagine, like, yeah. imagine it's more because you've got three movies here. Uh, three, like, imagine you treated it more as vignettes where you jump massive amounts of time and you say, like, okay, here's one event that we can render fairly well and we don't need to have all the filler material to get from point A to point B. Or so, you know what I mean? Like, now nah, I, I understand what I'm just doing fucking armchair quarterbacking here, but like, I'm bothered by the way this movie moves from from section to section. Like, it seems to want to tell the full breadth of a life, but it can't. It can't pull it off. According to this L.A. Times uh, write up, Carlos sent Ramirez a letter before the film's produce uh, uh, uh-huh. release. Uh, Carlos had never seen the movie, um, but uh, uh. Tells him he's a pawn for, for the capitalist system. Uh, tells <laughs> this is so dumb. I hate the LA Times. Uh, says among among Carlos's points, both he and the actor depicting him were Venezuelans named Ramirez. So the actor should know better. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, I mean, uh, Ramirez I, never wrote back. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I. Like, it's one of those weird things where it's like, you know, I don't know. Like, I have no sympathy for this person. But, like, I do on a fundamental level have some sympathy for, like, somebody essentially just making up a story. It's just, it's just, and then not doing it. And then Carlos never saw it, but, like, regardless, also not doing a very good job of it. Like, I don't know. Like, I want to treat Ben Franklin like this or something, you know what I mean? In the sense that, like, I want to just go out and just make a bunch of shit up and, and then not do a very good job of it. And then, like, be like, this is the yeah. this is a slightly fictionalized true story about the life of Ben Franklin. Um, Well, I, I mean, I do understand that that happens a lot, but, it, but it's very rarely as sort of, aggr- of aggressively weird as this one is. Yeah. One of the one of the points Ramirez is trying to make in in what I quoted from him is that Carlos popularly was such a thin character to begin with. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and, and, ben and, and, and I don't exactly think, a thin character, but I don't think I don't think that Ramirez is doing a bad job in this film. I just think his material, like everybody else's material, is a bit not not as good as it could be. Um. Yeah, I I don't think that you could. I don't. I think you could even make a movie that's basically trying to make all the points that this movie is trying to make with regards to like him in it being in it for the money and stuff. That is less less confusingly rendered, and he even gets that like like dubious point across better. 
Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? I I just think it doesn't even accomplish its seeming goals very well. Um, oh, like we're gonna watch part three. Well, I'm actually looking forward to part three because part three yeah. is so far separated from like anything that it's like okay, well, this is probably. I think it's just gonna be like Carlos in business meetings and then fucking. That's my suspicion. <laughs> Like I think that's all maybe, the movie could be, maybe. right? Because part yeah. two, fully part half of part two is just him in business meetings. We're already at a point where Carlos's yeah. primarily a- primary activity is sitting in a chair. Yeah. Um, and seemingly part three will be way more of that. Sitting in a chair, being talked to. Yeah, and like I, I really suspect it's going to be just way more of that. Uh, it well, sort of depends on how much of the of the, his capture they want to render in like loving detail, um, right? Uh, yeah. Oh my god! I just read the last scene uh, uh, description on Wikipedia with the, with the complicity of the Sudanese authorities and due to immobility from a testicular condition, he is captured on August fourth, nineteen ninety. Brought back to Paris. Oh boy! Like now we know where All where right. he's going to really get to chew the <laughs> chew the scenery. Is it the yeah. testicular yeah. condition? Good luck. Well, um, I think we can probably hold off on judging oh, no, whether or not the film reaches its goals. <laughs> yeah, until yeah. we actually finish sure. the film. I guess so. so. I mean, here's what I will so we'll say: be watching when I watch a movie, I usually know by the third act whether or not the movie was <laughs> doing a good job or not. Yes, yes, yes. No, that's fair. Uh, in any case, we'll be watching part three next week. This week it was part two of Carlos. Uh, directed by Olivier Assayas. Uh, yeah, finishing up next week. Yeah, with part three and uh, a couple more bonus features. Yeah, we got a few um, more to watch. I, I can't. The thing I wanted to, the one thing I wanted to say before I before we quit okay. was was how and sorry I know we're wrapping up, but like, is yeah. that like I found part one pretty engaging and really pretty interesting, and like part two is just such a let down from that i i don't know i think like it's really in, uh, strange like all second instances in a trilogy oh yeah we're, uh, we're we're uh we are we are fully in temple of doom territory here yeah we're in the placeholder central where they know a third one's coming so maybe we don't have to put too much work into this one <laughs> the audience will tune in for the, the for the third one maybe we already got it poked yeah almost certainly uh Anyway, sorry. Thank you so much for listening to Lost and Great Tears. I'm as always Liam Glass. With me as always John Patrick Oyvind Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. been listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts The Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at. How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. 
check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. He's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening.